0: intention interior trucking companies. If you are relying on facility insurance, you could be overpaying. Reduce your insurance cost by 10000 or more per truck.
1: And good news, we accept drivers with only one year of experience. To learn more, just send us text by typing insurance to 365-364-0714. Thank you. And welcome to the Dog on a Trucking Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Harris. And today, We have Mr. Peter with us, Uh, Mr. Peter, now Stefanovich. Did I say that close to being correct, Peter?
0: You did. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure to be on.
1: Hey, it's awesome. Peter, you work for left lane associates. What the heck is, I mean, I understand the reference to the left lane. You're always going fast, but what is left lane associates?
0: Yeah. The Leftland Associates is a supply chain mergers and acquisition investment bank. So our job is working with both buyers and sellers in the transportation, logistics, warehousing, supply chain sector in North America. Either sell their business when their time has come to exit or buy a business when they're looking through growth strategies for acquisitions. And at Leftland Associates, that. The name left lane comes from my business partner, Mike McCarron, um, came up with the idea of passing the left lane. Is, you tend to pass in the left lane. So for us, especially the reference to trucking, which where Mike built his business with the MSM Transport, uh, passing in the left lane is something that uh, for us, we always help our clients pass the competition uh, from either growth strategies or when selling their business. So we're able to help them.
1: Well, see, and you're talking to a safety guy and to me, left lane is passing, which means the fast lane, um, you know, and that's to a safety guy, the more dangerous lane, because I want you to stay to the right, but I understand your, your metaphor.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: You said it's, it's you and McCarran.
0: Yeah. So it's Mike and myself and we've got another eight employees and uh, all uh, five on the deal side. Uh, three in-house researchers and two support staff. And our business uh, has grown from just Mike and myself all the way to where we are now. Uh, we work on transactions anywhere from $1 million all the way up to $250 million. Uh, we, again, we work in five areas. Uh, we've got the asset-based trucking. So that's the reefer, drive-in, courier, bulk, anything in the asset-based side. The non-asset-based side, that's the 3PL, 4PL, customs broker, freight forwarder, freight brokers. Uh, the third area is warehousing distribution companies, so the pick-and-pack, co-pack, e-com fulfillment businesses. The fourth is truck and trailer leasing businesses. And the fifth and final area is transportation data and technology companies. So that's the TMS, WMS systems.
1: That's, see, that's cool. And I didn't know that left lane. I mean, I have i don't know Mike McCarron well. Um, we are kind of associates. I've met him at several you know, business functions and stuff. And I know his uh, background from his own company. How do you know Mike?
0: So Mike and I met in 2012, 13. I joined Wheels Group, which is the business that actually purchased MSM. And my office is right beside Mike. So we kind of became friends. And Mike actually became a mentor to me in the business. I was working in sales and running several operations teams and i went to mike for a lot of advice and we stock up struck up a good friendship and he became a mentor to me in the space and we got to know each other quite well to the point when we decided um, after wheels group sold to radiant that we would look at starting something together uh, there was a big gap from people understanding transportation logistics and the supply chain from the investment bank side and from the m a advisory side the mergers and acquisition advisory side because people had never spent time in it. So the differentiating factor and the force multiplier for us was we had spent a lot of time in the transportation logistics supply chain sector. So we built the business based off of our knowledge in the space uh, that we could help other equal sellers or buyers assist them in growth or selling their businesses in only the supply chain logistics space.
1: See, that's really cool. I didn't know. uh, I mean, I've never thought about it. I assumed always that businesses have to be sold uh, from time to time for whatever reason, but I've never really thought about how does it all happen? How does it get put together? Um, You know, what are the steps Uh, in if I owned a trucking company and I wanted to sell my business? uh, What do I do? How do I go about it?
0: Well, the first thing is to, Before you decide to sell your business, you want to have internal conversations with your friends or family members that are related to the business or ownership or shareholders of the business. You want to make sure everybody's on the same page first to make sure that now is the good time. Um, Next piece is to reach out to somebody like us and uh, start talking and engaging the process. Now, for us, if you're a seller and you're looking to sell your business, the first thing we like to get done is get a proper valuation done. That's by uh, a proper valuator that we work with who's got a CBV. That's a certification for accredited business valuation experts. Getting that helps get you an idea of where your benchmark value is. Um, understanding that helps make sure that the value of your business is exactly what you think it is or where it should be. And from there, we're able to then take that information, use that to help presumably buyers look at your business and help sell your business. So once evaluation is completed, then we go back with the sellers and, again, make sure we're all on the same page. We then start the process of putting together marketing materials, uh, putting together a confidential information memorandum. It's basically a 25, 30-page book that outlines your business, outlines your assets that you have, if there are power units, trailers, what type, outlines the geographic locations, Uh, what type of commodities you move, and outlines your corporate structure and the value add you could provide to a buyer if somebody acquired you. So our job is to put together this this really intrinsic book for people to look at it for the first time and get an understanding of your business quickly and get them to jump on board whether they want to purchase the business or decide to jump off the ship and not decide to move on to something different. So our job is basically to display your business in the best light, get all the information ready, populate that information, run the process, have various discussions with potential buyers, negotiate at an expression of interest level, then negotiate to a letter of intent level. And once we're able to get to there, then help guide along the due diligence process all the way to the, the purchase and sell agreement, which will be the actual time when your business is closed. And when that happens, close from a perspective of selling the business, not from closing the business altogether, but from selling the business. And once that's completed, then the transition stage starts and the business goes and starts working with the presumed buyer. How
1: long does this whole thing take? Because, I mean, I met you and um, at a client of mine. Uh, You're in to start the process, I believe. Now, obviously, we can't mention the client because I don't believe right. that has been. Um, closed or anything. However, how long does it take typically or on average to sell a trucking business? Because I got to believe it's, um, God, it's gotta be kind of like a house in some ways where you're on the market for a period of time and then you, you reach an agreement. Uh, and then there's gotta be another due diligence phase, I would imagine. And then you actually have a closing date. Is, Is that anything close to reality?
0: Similar. Usually, when people bring up uh, the real estate examples, it get a little bit. uh, uh, It's the closest thing to working in mergers and acquisitions, but it's vastly different. A lot more expansive and a lot more work involved in it. Obviously, when you're selling a business, let's say you use a trucking company, you're selling the power units, the trailers, the customer list, uh, your employees, effectively your processes, and the land, presumably in some deals. So it's a lot more complex than a real estate deal, but the concept. I get where you're coming from. Um, It generally takes anywhere from a minimum six months all the way up to 18 months to sell your transportation business. So that's why it's absolutely imperative to think about selling your business well before you have to sell your business. And we often talk about actually my partner, Mike, coined the, the dreaded D's. Uh, death, divorce, disease, delinquent partner, and done. So there's five Ds that Mike Mike and us talk about. And when you get to those five Ds, you actually lose the ability to control your own destiny. So it's better to get ahead of those things and control your destiny to get the maximum value out of your business.
1: Yeah, and I know the client, or at least I don't know, but I believe the client that uh, you and I both mutually know is not involved in the D's yet. Um Correct. There's a, another D uh, that you didn't include in there and that one would be desire. Um, you know, our, our mutual client has the desire to sell and uh, to slow down because they've been in the business for God, I don't want to say how long they've been in the business, but I know that I've known the people for more than 20 years or about 20 years. So it's a long time
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's you know it's a lot of people get to the point and one of the d's is done where they say look i just want to be done with the industry that we're in and it's not because they don't like it obviously it built a family lifestyle for them it helped them create value for their employees employment etc so most people after you get to a certain point you just want to move on to something else maybe do work in charitable organizations or just even retire and go golf enjoy, maybe travel, not right now with COVID, but travel eventually soon. And, you know, to, to get ahead of that stuff, you need to think ahead and, and realize that it will take, you know, six to 18 months to get things done. And that includes starting engagement, um, starting the, the valuation, us putting together the, the confidential information memorandum, the marketing materials, going out to market, negotiating, putting together an expression of interest, then a letter of intent, then due diligence itself takes quickest is 60 60 days usually it's 90 to 120 days of just due diligence so it's it's it takes a while so it's important to make sure when anybody especially anybody that watches this understand that's important to plan well in advance
1: well yeah and and you know you're saying due diligence takes really 90 to 120 days what who's involved in the due diligence
0: yeah, absolutely. So the due diligence involves uh, if you have an advisor somebody like us, be us coordinating with uh, the buyer's side on you know their team, generally, their accounting personnel that they've hired or and or their their legal team. So the due diligence involves uh, various operational information that's needed legal information and accounting information that's needed. So there'll be multiple different parties on both sides working on getting all that information put together and answering any questions that are outstanding regarding any of the materials that have been uploaded to a virtual data room.
1: That's so a lot of work. You've got the lawyers and the accountants involved. um, And I imagine it's just confirming that everything that the seller has um, said or demonstrated is all true because once you've purchased it, I would imagine it's buyer beware. I, again, I've never bought a a trucking company, so I don't know, but I would imagine at least part
0: of it is buyer beware. Correct. Exactly. Like the, the purpose of due diligence is to verify all the information that was presented beforehand is accurate. And the job of, of a good investment banker or advisor like us is to make sure that that information is properly vetted before we actually take on a client and make sure that that information is accurate. Because we also are very protective of our brand and reputation. We want to make sure when we're going out to, you know, big companies, pick Bison, Mullen, TFI, um, Titanium, you know, Canada Cartage—any of those big guys that were presenting accurate information. So when they're looking at our client, that they know it's accurate, and that way that could speed along the due diligence process. But if if information is is incorrectly displayed or inaccurate, then it reflects badly on everybody, and that will kill a deal. So it's make the main idea with all this that I'm saying is anybody looking at selling. Business is is to make sure to be open and honest about the business, especially with your advisor or your investment banker. So that way, when it gets time to go out to market, that there's no skeletons, in the closet at that time. And anybody who's looking at the business won't have any issues of anything that's displayed in front of them. I got to imagine it's,
1: it's got to be tough to, to sell. um, Because in your, in the trucking business, a lot of the sales are family owned operations. And, uh, it's something, you know, a typical trucking company starts with one or two, you nurture it, you baby it, you bring it along, and now you get it up to, let's say a hundred trucks and that took you maybe 20 years and now it's time to sell. Um, it's like selling a family member, selling a, a baby really, uh, how do you get around? I know that if I did all that work and the blood, sweat and tears that it takes to be in a trucking company, I might have an inflated value in my head as to what my baby is worth. How do you coach, um, your clients to bring them down in some cases, I got to imagine down to reality. Is that a a fair statement? Do some people sometimes have an inflated, um, value for their company?
0: Let's say, Most people do, (laughs) so I think it's you know exactly the example you gave. Everyone thinks that their kid's the best looking, smartest kid, um, you know, best at sports and everything else. But you know, from a business perspective, it's no different. And when it's your business that you've grown, built, it's provided for your family, your friends, employees. You have an affinity to that business, and your affinity is always going to be greater than anybody else's. So that's why it's important to realize that. It's good to get a third party, somebody like us, to work with you and understand the value of the business. That's why our important first step in any business that we decide to help sell is get a valuation done. So that way there's a level set of all parties to understand that this is the value. And if people don't agree with our expertise and our our approach to uh, being able to take their business and sell it at the correct amount, then a deal will never get completed. So our job is to make sure we properly vet our clients as much as they vet us. And it's to make sure that we're realist, which we are versus being idealists. And, you know, the job is to get the deal closed and to complete a transaction. But before that happens, the the selling party has to be comfortable with the value. If they're not, our response back is then take some more time, build it up to the value that you wish it to become based on these indicators and let's circle back in a year, two years, three years, whatever however long it might be. If you're able to achieve that, those metrics, then it'll be able to sell at X value.
1: That's, that's neat. I mean, and I've got a question for you that isn't um, directly related, but it kind of is. My girlfriend owns her own business. It's not a trucking business. Um, and one day it will be up for sale. How do you go about, evaluating a business and putting a price on it
0: yeah so the the best way of understanding the the business value is looking through uh, a market multiple approach and that's what we commonly use in in the mergers and acquisition worlds for supply chain so we look at um, the the value of the business from a financial sense and get an idea of what their EBITDA figure is that's the earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization so it's 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 getting that number. Figuring out what normalizations, as any business owner, like your example of your girlfriend, she might put stuff through the business. Let's not tell the CRA, but it's it, you might get you know a couple meals you put through the business or have your personal vehicle through the business. It's very common. Or else, why would anybody be an entrepreneur if you didn't have any benefits from doing anything? It's a huge amount of risk, and you got to have some return back. And I think that's important part of being an entrepreneur. And we need more entrepreneurs in this country, by the way. So um, the important piece about understanding how the business is valued is once you figure out the mathematical approach to finding out what that normalized EBITDA number is, then from there, it's using expertise of people that understand the marketplace like ourselves to know where multiples, so that multiple of that EBITDA number lie based on your goodwill, uh, your brand, uh, the lanes you might run, the clients you might have. So that all builds into where a multiple of that EBITDA gets placed. So that could be, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six times. And using that is a good indicator. So there's quantitative analyses that's built into along with qualitative. And it's a merging of the two that allow us to get to the correct valuation. And because most Businesses in, in transportation are privately held. It's hard to compare public numbers and public figures. And any information that you might read online is generally not accurate unless it's actually a publicly traded company. So, from that standpoint, having innate knowledge and having a good understanding of the business is important, or the, sorry, the industry is absolutely important to understand where the multiples you'll be able to get when you sell.
1: Yeah, because I was thinking, how many um, publicly traded trucking companies? Are there in Canada?
0: Um, well, you've got uh, TFI, you've got Mullen, you've got Titanium on the Canadian side. Um, US, offers the big ones like JB Hunt are massive there, too. So I'll use that as an example. But there's um, there's quite a few down there as well.
1: Yeah. But up here in Canada, like a lot of the big ones, a bison, um, they're private.
0: Private. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the only three that come to mind in the trucking space are Titanium. Mullen and TFI. Yeah. So again, compare that to how many trucking companies there are out there. That's less than one tenth of 1%. Yeah,
1: it's huge. Uh, the, they're typically family run companies. I mean, a bison, um, yeah, I was going to say is, is a family run company is probably growing out of that. But uh, I believe the founder is still, or not the founder, but the, uh, the family is still involved of the founder at Bison.
0: Yeah, I absolutely do work with Rob Penner there. So it's uh, it's, it's grown exponentially Bison. It's been, you know, quite a big success story, especially coming out of uh, the prairies. It's been, you know, quite, uh, quite a, quite phenomenal story for them, their growth.
1: Yeah. Now you, you mentioned one thing that um, goodwill, how in the, the trucking industry, like, um, I just, I got a couple of questions about goodwill. Um, because it is so much um, Goodwill is kind of pie in the sky a little bit. Then we have the Driver Inc. model. Um, So how do you evaluate Goodwill? And then I want to talk to you about how does Driver Inc. affect the, or does it affect the value of the company? But how do you price Goodwill?
0: So Goodwill is priced in multiple different ways. That's why it's understanding, you know, where, you know, what type of business and well I'll break it down for you. Goodwill is a number of different things. That could be the type of client, the industry the clients are in, the longevity of the clients, uh, the longevity of your employees, uh, it could also be the geographic location, the the type of business. So I'll give you an example of e com fulfillment businesses, the goodwill knows are a lot greater because it's a lot more interesting or sexy right now because of the e fulfillment final mile everyone using amazon type of stuff right now so goodwill changes based on you know a variety of different factors including the ones that i talked about too and you know certain areas especially in trucking if if certain lanes produce higher values so that increases your goodwill if certain types of transportation have higher goodwill values use like example of uh Liquid and chemical bulk have higher goodwill values because the customers are more sticky. Um, dealing with hazmat stuff versus dealing with just regular drive-in. That I'm not saying anybody could do that, but drive-in. It's a lot more. It's a lot easier for people to purchase a drive-in than it is to. That's about thirty, forty thousand dollars. Than it is to buy a, you know, a chemical bulk uh, container that's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and is safety and government regulated based on certain commodities you ship.
1: That's, that's cool. I got to believe that's one of the harder areas that you have to uh, put a price tag on. I mean, to me, equipment, like you said, a dry van, they're used, but uh, you know what they're worth kind of, or what they're selling for. So to me, that would be the easy part of the job. Everything else is tougher. Uh, Absolutely. Does driver ink affect the value of a company?
0: You know, it's, it, it can, Um, it, goodwill of driver inc depending on um the perception of the industry um, it could have a, a negative impact on the value of the business but if a driver inc business is being acquired by another driver inc business from that perspective the goodwill may not downwardly affect that business because the people looking at that are comfortable with that model now again would you see uh you know as alan bedard said in some of his um uh, quarterly meetings that they're not interested in anything regarding driver Inc. And when you hear that, especially in, in, um, the atmosphere that that could have a negative effect on, um, the potential selling of a business that is driver Inc associated.
1: Okay. So you said Alan Bedard, uh, which company is he? I know it starts with T, but, uh,
0: TFI sir, so Alan Bedard with Transforce.
1: Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that the listeners uh, knew who you were quoting. Um, so a company like that, if they're out there looking for an acquisition, they're not going to be looking at a driver in company is what you're saying. Correct. So for him, it drives the value down. And for others, as you say, if they're comfortable, um, that's not not a worry.
0: Correct. Yeah, it, it really depends on, on the perception too at the time and if, you know, the CRA starts clamping down more on the driver ink model, then there'll be more reluctancy to purchase a driver ink business as well, um, or whether it's reluctancy or the value gets driven down because of that. So it depends on the perception and the reality at the time too. If if uh, more businesses again are being uh, CRA um, WSIB infractions because of the driver ink model, then that could negatively impact you know, again that businesses that that facilitate that.
1: Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting uh, Interesting going forward. Um, you know, right now we're in the middle of COVID and all levels of government are spending unprecedented amounts of money. Uh, I yeah. wonder how they're going to attack their deficits after this is all over.
0: Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's not a wonder of us attacking the deficits, our grandchildren that are going to be attacking it because that's how much spending we're going through right now.
1: And, and maybe their children. Um uh yes you know but i just wonder the driver ink model if that'll be an area that uh and this is out of likely out of your expertise if driver ink model will be one of the areas the government looks at to say Hmm. um you know the ota i think they said there's a billion dollars of taxes being left on the table oh uh, it it would be interesting
0: I'd I like to always assume any way that the government could take, get more from taxes. They will. So however Beth, that they find that they will find it.
1: Yeah. Hey, Peter, we're, we're nearing the end. Um, and I don't know, as I said at the beginning, I really don't know anything about mergers and acquisitions. What question should I have asked you, uh, that I haven't. Hmm.
0: Well, I think, you know, the, the the question that you or anybody looking at selling a business, the best thing to ask is who's experienced in it. And I think that's, you know, for us, not just, you know, for your viewers getting an understanding, you want to work with somebody just like yourself that knows a specific niche. You obviously know trucking and safety, and that's your lane. And it's best to work with people that are specialists and understand a specific area, rather than working with somebody that's a generalist. So we always recommend working with people that understand that space. Um, not so much a question, just more um, something that people should always question and ask themselves: like, who would you rather work with—somebody that's a specialist or somebody that's a generalist? Especially when it's your, you know, when you're dealing with safety and lives and risks, or when you're dealing with selling your baby from a M and A perspective. So I think those are both. Extremely important things. Uh, other questions that people should ask um, when talking to you know M and A advisors or looking at selling their business is you know how how often do businesses get bought and sold? And that's a question people don't ask us a lot. And it's extremely hard to sell a business. Uh, Difference than selling a real estate piece of property. There's so many variables involved in a business, and only one in three businesses sell when they get to a letter of intent stage. So that's basically when due diligence is about to start. So at that point, when you think it's all over, there's still only a 33% success rate of closing. So it's extremely hard to sell a business. And I think people need to realize that, you know, if you have an opportunity and you have, you know, this, you know, somebody to help you navigate around that opportunity, you get a, a extremely good opportunity, deal from it from a a value perspective, it's good to take advantage of that because that opportunity may never come around. It's not like, you know, getting a new client for a trucking business or getting a new warehousing client in a warehousing business. Buying and selling businesses are extremely hard and difficult, and it doesn't happen often. And there's a lot smaller pool of buyers, and there's a lot more risk involved. So less people are involved in buying businesses than buying a house or anything else. So it's extremely important to realize that when starting this process.
1: That's cool. And of course we're going to have all of your contact info for the listeners and the viewers. If they want to reach out to you and left lane, Uh, all the contact info is in the show notes below. Peter, I want to say thanks because I honestly didn't know anything about mergers and acquisitions, especially when it comes to trucking. Uh, Last word, what would you like to say?
0: I just want to wish everybody, uh, you know, all the best into the hopefully new year of 2021. And if anybody's looking at uh, uh, either exiting through uh, selling their business or growing through acquisitions, we're always there to help. Uh, We've got a team of 10 professionals and uh, we'd love to always chat and again, wish everybody safe, safety and happiness and healthiness throughout this uh, pandemic and look to see everybody on the other side of this. Once we get the vaccine rollout and, we're, we're all set and wish everybody also a uh, happy holidays.
1: Hey, thanks so much, Peter, for being on the show. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and all that good stuff. As um, the listeners may not know, what is today? December the, f- it's not on my watch, uh, the 5th. Number 4th. 4th. December the 4th, we recorded this today. So right in the middle of a damn pandemic and uh, looking forward to uh, 2021, hoping it'll not be a repeat.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Hopefully not. Well, thank you all the best, Chris, and uh, all the best to everybody listening.
1: Hey, thanks, Peter, for coming on.
0: Thank you. Take care.
1: I hope you loved the show as much as I did. Please leave us a like, a thumbs up, a review, a comment, a rating, if it is a heart. Thank you so much. And I do really appreciate it. Your time. And join us again next week for another exciting
0: interview.